Thank you, Bev. Uh, many of you have heard me say before, I grew up in the church. I think my mom went from the hospital to the church with us kids. Uh, we spent a lot of time at the church and grew up with all those old hymns. And uh, I'm glad there's somebody besides me who sits there and hums through these when, uh, when Bev's playing, because I heard a few uh, uh, today, and it's good. It's good. You know, the gospel writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, seem to have three different versions of this story uh, that we're going to talk about today. And I won't bore you with all the details. Let me just tell you that Luke places this story in a section of stories that are really anti-Pharisee. He is quick to point out the hypocrisy of the Jewish religious leaders. Matthew and Mark's version are very similar and parallel in almost every way, and John's version is also similar, but John adds some characters to the story that the others don't. So Luke's version of this story is different than the others. Remember that Luke is a master storyteller, and uh, think about stories like the Good Samaritan, the rich man, and Lazarus, Mary and Martha and many others. Many scholars conclude that Luke is one of the best short story tellers ever to have lived. And if you'd like to follow along in your Bible today, we're beginning in Luke chapter 7 uh, with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now the Pharisees in Jesus' day were self-righteous people, who were blown up uh, with moral and spiritual feelings of superiority. You know, they were not pastors, they were not priests, they were lay leaders who were stuffy with self-righteous pride. They had this fundamental problem, and it was maximizing everybody else's faults while minimizing their own. They were experts at looking at everybody else's sins, And they felt that they were a cut above everybody else in the world. Now to understand the story better, we need to understand Jesus' running conflict with the Pharisees. One day Jesus told the Pharisees that prostitutes and tax collectors, two of the groups of people they hated the most, would get into the kingdom of God before they would. Now the Pharisees and their self-righteous attitudes were always butting heads with Jesus. And for that reason, the Pharisees were out to get him. Now, in this story that Jesus tells in Luke 7, we discover that Jesus was invited to the home of none other than Simon the Pharisee, one of the Pharisees whom Jesus had recently insulted. In other words, the scene is set for a bloody battle of words and wits with some religious elite. Now, Jesus was invited to Simon's home for a banquet. Um, Although it was a tainted invitation, Jesus would have been been invited to this large open courtyard at the house. The people were there not merely to have dinner. They were having a banquet. A banquet meant that the table was laden with food and home was filled with people, important people as well as onlookers from off the street. Jesus was a well-known religious big shot by this time. And it would have been very special to have the most famous rabbi in in town at your home. Everyone would have been excited 
and nervous at the same time because of the earlier conflicts that Jesus had had with many of the guests whom we assume were also Pharisees. Now Jesus knew who he was dealing with as he approached the house of Simon. And as he came into the courtyard, Simon greeted him but did not do uh, some of the common expected courtesies. Normally when a guest arrived in your home, the host would embrace them or hug them or touch them in a friendly way, but Simon did none of those things. That was strange, and he was aloof, and he was cool toward Jesus. When Jesus came in, Simon would have normally offered Jesus water uh, with which to bathe his feet, or he would have one of his servants wash his feet. Simon offered neither. And normally Simon would have offered olive oil to soothe Jesus' hands or feet, but Simon did not offer him that either. So there's a definite coolness in the air, and the scene was set for sparks to fly. Look at verse 37 and 38. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped off them off with her hair, and then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now in this scene, a woman who appears to be a prostitute comes in behind Jesus, and she kneels at his feet, and she begins crying, crying a lot. She cries so much that her tears actually wet Jesus' feet. And then she takes her long, dark brown hair, which would have been braided around her head, and she unbraids it, and she lets it down and starts to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. People at the banquet were stunned. They were speechless. No one knew what to say. This woman, who was considered a social outcast, a social reject, was doing something that was totally inappropriate, letting down her hair like that in public and crying her tears all over Jesus' feet. It was also improper, so offensive, so borderline, so disgusting, it violated the rules of civil etiquette. And then on top of all of this, this woman starts kissing his feet. How strange. Why would she do this? Was it the care in his voice? Had she heard him speak of God's love and forgiveness? Her actions would not seem so strange to people who understand that in Jewish custom, somebody had saved your life. You would come to that person and kiss their feet. The fact that she was kissing Jesus' feet implies and reveals that Jesus may have rescued her earlier. Perhaps Jesus had saved her from a life of prostitution. Nevertheless, all the people at the banquet are perplexed. They're speechless at her behavior. It was definitely one of those awkward moments. Look at verse 39. When the Pharisees, Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Now this Pharisee was thinking his thoughts to himself. 
not wanting Jesus to know what he was feeling or how deeply he was condemning this woman, an adulteress. He's thinking. If Jesus was truly a prophet, he would realize what kind of woman this was. He would know uh, what's inside her heart. He would know what a terrible sinner she is. And Jesus should have nothing to do with her. And Jesus, being a prophet, is reading Simon's heart. He knew that his heart was filled with smug self-righteousness and condemnation. Simon was looking down his nose at this woman, for Simon felt that he had a lot. Uh, he was a lot better than she was. Look at verse forty. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, "I have something to say to you." Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And we can feel it coming, can't we? We can sense that Simon is going to get an earful as he hears a word from the Lord, but Simon didn't seem to anticipate that Jesus was reading his thoughts and his attitude. He thought his inner convictions were known only to himself. So he naively asked Jesus to continue. Go ahead, teacher. Verse 41, then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to another. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? See, Jesus knew what was in Simon's heart, so he said to Simon, Simon, I need to tell you a story. There once were two men, and they were both in debt to a moneylender, a banker, and the one was in debt 500 denarii, or five days' wages. That is being deeply in debt to owe someone almost two years of wages. Second man was in debt for 50 denarii, Uh, or 50 days of wages, less than two months of wages, the moneylender forgave both people their debts, and now which of the two would be more appreciative to the moneylender? Verse 43, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Now, I love the, the intonation of Jesus' words. I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt of Simon's words. Verse 44, and then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Here's the key to the whole story. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now Jesus adds these profound words to his rebuke of Simon. The person who has been forgiven much loves much. 
The person who has been forgiven much has compassion in their heart. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. Whoever is forgiven little loves little. Wow, what words. So true, so applicable in our lives. Here's a profound law of human relationships. Self-sufficiency is a mark of our distance from God. Self-sufficiency is a mark of our distance from a holy God. If a person has not personally experienced forgiveness themselves, it becomes very difficult to extend forgiveness to another person who needs it. But when we realize the number of stupid mistakes we've made in our own life, then we are more willing to forgive others who make stupid mistakes in their life. Jesus forgave the woman's sin, and that action would upset the Pharisees. And you see, the Pharisees believed that according to their interpretation of the Old Testament, only God had the power and the authority to forgive sins. And by forgiving her sins, Jesus was claiming the authority of God. Verse 49, the men at the table said to themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And yes, the Pharisees are beginning to slowly realize what Jesus is saying and implying about himself, that he is the son of God, the presence of God, the person of God in human form. Verse 50, and Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Once again, we hear that classic line, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Let me ask you to reflect on this story for just a moment. Whom do you identify with in this story? Who are you in this story? Are you more like Simon the Pharisee who basically magnifies the faults of other people? Do you focus on the faults of your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter or your in-laws or your friends, certain people uh, at work, that neighbor who disagrees with you? Do you look across the congregation and see a room full of hypocrites? Is there an arrogance in your heart where uh, you are focused on the faults of other people and minimizing your own? Is that who you are? Deep down in your heart, are you judgmental of other people and of their sins? Or are you like this woman who knows her sinfulness and comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I have these problems inside, this sinfulness. Would you forgive me? Would you help to change me? This woman had a worshipful appreciation for Jesus because he forgave her and he healed her. And God wants us to have a similar worshipful appreciation for Jesus and all the forgiveness that Jesus has given us for that inner healing is what helps us to move on. So who are you like in the story? Be honest. Are you more like Simon the Pharisee or are you more like the woman who had this worshipful appreciation towards Jesus for all that he had done for her? Now, the key to this story is one line, one line. If you read the story carefully in the Bible, you notice that Jesus had been talking to Simon, but he had been looking at the woman. 
And Jesus turns to, back to Simon and he says, revealing his spiritual genius, I love this, Jesus says, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. You see, there is a connection between realizing that our many sins have been forgiven and having great compassion. When we realize what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, then we can have great compassion for others, for imperfect people, like our husband or our wife, our children, our in-laws, our friends, and others that we may be at cross-purposes with. Jesus says that there is a connection when we realize the magnitude of our own sinfulness, the size of our imperfections in our own spirit and our degree of compassion to others. In the words of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, we call it the Lord's Prayer, there is a message about forgiveness. Marie, I don't know if you put this on screen. She, she did. She's wonderful, isn't she? Um, but we're gonna, I, I'm just going to ask you to pray it with me. Speak the words with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Have you ever prayed that prayer honestly and said to yourself, wait a minute, I can't do this. can't pray this. The hurt that was inflicted on me, it was so deep and so painful, there's no way I see myself forgiving the wrong that that person did to me. When you come to the words, forgive us, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, you think there's no way. There's no way I'm going to do that. Now, in the middle of this cloud of unforgiveness that often descends upon our spirits, the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 11, verse 25, drop like a rock. Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Or from Luke 6, 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. This is the proverbial between a rock and a hard place spot for us. If we can't forgive, then we can't be forgiven. The wrong we experienced may be so hurtful that there seems to be no way to let go of it, but we must. The reality is that forgiveness is hard to give. But it is the only way to freedom. There is a strange and wonderful tension in this parable of Jesus which is woven by various threads of perspective on forgiveness. It's about a person who needs forgiveness and knows it. It's about a person who receives forgiveness and is grateful for it. It's about a person who needs forgiveness and doesn't know it. And it's about a religious person who absolutely, totally misses the point. So let me leave you today with four quick conclusions to this story. 
Because in responding to this encounter, we learn a lot about Jesus and a lot about what he wants out of us. First, Jesus looks or looked beyond this woman's body and reputation and he saw her soul. He saw her and her need in a way that no other man in her life had seen. And he calls her daughter. His relationship with her was pure. And once her heart was changed, she responded with pure humility and worship. Secondly, Jesus looked beyond her acts and saw her intent. Jesus recognizes in her actions a true spirit of repentance, and he wasn't offended by her emotions. And third, Jesus looked beyond her sin, and he saw her faith. It was her faith that saved her, not her love. We don't find salvation through our works, but by a faith that leads to or results from works. And fourth, Jesus looked beyond her past and saw her future. He said to her, go in peace. He pronounced forgiveness without the customary Jewish sin offering. See, only God could do that. Her debt was wiped clean. Is there a strong message here or what? What is it that gets people closer to God? Is it the love of God which opens up the heart to spiritual need? And it is a love that enables the authentic experience of forgiveness. But it is the Savior who forgives our sins and restores us to a right relationship with God. So even today, this is a message for us. Jesus looks beyond who we are on the outside. And he sees our soul. He looks beyond our acts and he sees our intent. He looks beyond our sin and he sees our faith. And Jesus looks beyond our past and he sees our future. How good is that? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners and our greatest need is for forgiveness. We know that you forgive sins as you did for the woman in our story today, so we would ask for that same forgiveness. Then give us a spirit of gratitude and a spirit of love to go with it. Help us to learn to love much because we have been forgiven much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.